Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Rob. We're a writing team from New Jersey with a passion for film. An aggressive, all-consuming passion. Well, whenever we see a news article we find, like, insane, uh, immediately it's... How can we make a movie out of this? Every episode we read a crazy article from different sources and tumble down our own rabbit hole. Discussing cast, crew, and plot. And then we hash out a pitch for a feature film. So, join us as we BS about movies and ask the important question... What do you got? What do you got? Ladies and gentlemen, and anyone in between, thank you for joining us. This is episode 57 of What Do You Got? Yes, we're behind. We took a little bit of a hiatus with New York Comic Con and everything going on. We just needed a little bit of a time in October during spoopy season to uh, kind of play our cards right and make sure we had everything scheduled up. We did, however, re-release or rerun episode 10 of the podcast from the street corner. Um, If you've been looking at or interested in watching the Netflix new show, The Watcher, um, it's based off of our pocket. No, I'm kidding. Uh, They they did a a TV series, a mini series based on The Watcher of Westfield, which we actually touched on in episode 10 of the podcast way back in 2019. Um, So if you're interested in watching that or are watching that and you would love to see our pitch for what that movie slash miniseries could have been. Feel free to travel back in time with us to 2019, a simpler time. Um, There's a great sort of postscript that that show coming out has given uh, for the whole story of The Watcher and for our episode, which is that the guy who owns it now, or I think he's just renting it, yeah, could not possibly give less of a shit. Yeah, <laughs> well, about that's any why, of this. Like, you know what? Like, no, I don't care. The the best part about it is that knowing that the Brodus family were the only ones to ever receive those letters besides the family who sold it to them. They received one letter like a week before the sale closed. It kind of really just proves that it was probably the Brodus family just doing it because they were in over their heads financially with that house. More than likely. <laughs> um, considering no one before or since has ever received a letter. That's that's the one thing where I'm like, man, I would totally rent out that house because they have it in the lease. We talked about this in the episode that they have it in the lease. If you receive a letter, you are able to break your lease without any type of penalties or incurring any type of interest or anything like that. So considering they probably rent out the house for I want it. It's probably cheap. I don't know if we could look into how much that would be since there's oh, so currently there. running it as an Airbnb would probably be the most profitable thing. Probably. Yeah. Cause I the neighbors think... have had to complain about all these cars in the neighborhood. Oh yeah. Driving past. I've, I've been wanting to be one of those cars they complain about, but I just haven't gone yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting because it's the idea that they, I think the Brodus family still owns the house. Because oh, do they? they I think so. I'm not sure, but they bought it. This this all happened in 2014. So it's less than 10 years ago. And all I know is that they moved out and they rented out the house. I don't know if they're still the ones renting out the house or they uh-huh. were able to sell it. And now someone else rents it out or not. But like you said, the family that lives there now could not give less of a shit about <laughs> the watcher stuff. <laughs> I have not watched the series. I don't know if you've watched the series. I um, don't really enjoy the majority of things produced by ryan murphy <laughs> that's a very fair point uh it looked i remember sending you the trailer and it looked okay but there was some as as you pointed out in in text to me there were some pretty cringe uh dialogue in that in that trailer that we first saw so i don't know i mean i love bobby Cannavale. um who, who else is in it it's uh Oh man, um what's her name? 
uh, who's Stifler's mom again? Jennifer Coolidge. Jennifer Coolidge. Thank you. Uh, uh, Naomi Watts is in it. Naomi Watts is the mom. What was actually? What was our cast? Do we remember? Is that listed Ooh, anywhere? It's a while back. It's a while. It might back. be listed on Twitter. I'm gonna check. I it out do. I do remember uh, Tim Blake Nelson. Yes, yes, he was our real estate guy, or no, he was the... He, he was part of the conspiracy, yeah. Yeah, he, I think he was the, like, um, one of the guys, like, in the town board or something like that. Uh-huh. Let me see real quick, because I know I have, on Twitter, I usually post cast along with the actual tweet, and let's see real quick, this would have been a long time ago, but I might be able to find it, 2020, back to 2019... Santa Consor write about it. Okay, The Watcher. Uh, it was direct. Our our pitch was directed by Jordan Peele. Uh-huh. Um, and it was yeah, it was Tim Blake Nelson as like the, I can't remember who. Oh, the realtor for you was um. Jessica Chastain. It oh, was Jessica yes. Chastain and the husband and wife couple were Kerry Washington and Oscar Isaac. Well, that, that was, was a good. Our that was a good show. That's, that's <laughs> a good pitch. That's a good pitch right there. Not going to lie. Um, that is not what we're talking about today. Uh, however, again, if you want to listen to episode 10, I'm pretty sure it was episode 10. It's called From the Street Corner. If you want to listen to that episode, if you've never listened to it, if it's a rerun, whatever, uh, you can check that out on whatdoyougot.podbean.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. We are now discussing something quite different. Uh, this is episode puppets. 57. We're discussing puppets. Um For those of you who don't know, there was a TV show back in the late 80s to early 90s called ALF. ALF stood for Alien Life Form, very simply. He was a puppet that, how would you describe? He had a croissant nose. That's the best way I can describe him. He was definitely cartoonish looking. Like, yeah, he had kind of a long snout, like a... um, Was he... An almost anteater-ish snout. Was he a Jim Henson production? Was was he a uh, Jim Henson created puppet? Do we know? I I believe he was. I don't know. I feel like everything is like if there's a puppet, most likely it's Jim Henson created from the 80s and 90s. Yeah. Um, but yes. So Alf was a very interesting show back in the 80s and 90s. I never watched a lot of it. I saw a couple episodes. It was it was before our time. But I know I saw a couple like rerun episodes on TV land and stuff like that. But I was never I never really watched it, watched it. But it's literally about an alien life form who comes to live with this family. It's a sitcom. It's a sitcom from the 80s, like family ties or anything like that. Uh, but with a, a puppet alien uh, that is the main character. Now, the puppet being the main character was a big point of contention for the cast. Um, <laughs> Alf was a hit show back in the uh, in the 1980s. It was about an alien and his Earth family. Ran on NBC for four seasons. Uh, our article is going to be based off of an article from CheatSheet.com. Uh, Posted actually this year, January 16th, uh, written by Perry Carpenter. So again, that uh, that article will be linked in the description of the episode wherever you see it. Um, the offbeat premise uh, and the puppet as the star, Alf, was actually quite popular with audiences. Unfortunately, the same thing could not be said about his co-stars. Apparently, there were some serious tensions on the set of Alf <laughs> because the human actors didn't want to play second fiddle to a puppet. It's interesting, this type of idea, because we've been going through the Chucky kill counts by Dead Meat, um, uh. his, his recounts for Chucky. Uh, and we've also actually been watching the TV series, which we're having a lot of fun with. There's a lot of issues with that show, but I digress. Um, the thing about it is that this is, I think this is something that the woman who played Kyle in Child's Play 2 said. I can't remember if it was her or if it was uh, Jennifer Tilly who said this. 
for Bride of Chucky. But the thing they said about working on a child's play movie or a Chucky movie, whatever you want to call it, is the idea that it doesn't matter how good or bad you do in a take. If the puppet or the animatronic gets his marks right, that's the take they're using. So if you have the worst take, it doesn't matter. They're going to use the ones the animatronic got right. So it, it really does screw you up as an actor because they're always going to take the the take that the puppet is does their best. Right. So yeah. if you have a line read you don't like or something, it doesn't matter because they're not going to they're not going to worry about you. They're not you're not the one yeah. they care about. This is uh, this is part of the the tension that developed as I was reading. Yes, uh, because the performer uh, who who operated Alf which now I'm reading, it's not a Jim Henson puppet. He created it oh, himself. Okay. Um, Paul Fusco did not like to rehearse. Yes, who who played the the father of the family in the show, yeah, I believe, uh, right? Yeah. No, Paul, Paul Fusco is Alf. Oh, oh, he did not like to rehearse. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, and if he did, he would either just use his hand during the rehearsals and not the Alf puppet, or like a really crude sock puppet early version of Alf. Which because, because he treated Alf kind of like he was real. That's 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 the weird part to me, right? It, I don't understand people as actors or whatever who never want to rehearse. I don't. You can rehearse till the cows come home, or you can rehearse once or twice. But I don't understand never rehearsing. I understand the spontaneity some people want, oh, yeah. but some of it just doesn't make sense. Marlon Brando not not wanting to memorize a script because he felt it more real to read off of cue cards is dumb as shit. <laughs> that does not yeah, translate to excuse. acting. To that me. was lazy as shit. <laughs> yeah. So those type of things, they don't translate to me. I, I don't appreciate that when actors or, or puppeteers, for this matter, yeah. um, don't rehearse the stuff and especially for a sitcom which you're filming in front of a live studio audience i mean you have as many takes as you want just because you, you know you can go but it's not it's not live theater right you can keep doing takes of it but that's going to cut into time that's going to cut into scheduling and that's going to make things run long if you don't know what you're doing it's like not hitting your marks right david fincher is perhaps prolifically known for doing hundreds of takes for shots because he wants to make sure that every single moment is marked properly. Yeah. Um, there's a downside to that too, of course. Uh, there's a there's a pro and con side to either of these uh, opinions or, or or views. But I never think the extreme in either direction is the right way to go. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, the premise of Alf was that an alien life form from the destroyed planet Melmac landed on Earth and ended up becoming a part of the Tanner family, which is funny that it, they're also the Tanner family. Um, the Alf character was a lovable furball with a croissant shaped nose. OK, maybe I maybe I subconsciously stole that from his description um, and <laughs> it comb looks over. like a croissant. It does. It does. He also had an unhealthy obsession with the family cat Lucky. However, if I remember correctly, and I think they say it in this article, his thing was he wanted to eat the cat. Wasn't that true? He was always trying to eat the cat. Yeah, which is a funny ongoing gag. Um, the puppet was voiced by show creator and puppeteer Paul Fusco, as as Rob had just stated. The series starred Max Wright as Willie, the head of the Tanner family. And Sh Shadeen, I want to say, played mom Kate Tanner, and Andrea Ellison starred as teenage daughter Lynn. Ben Hertzberg played Brian, who was the youngest member of the family. Max Wright, who played the dad, absolutely hated working with the puppet. He was a serious theater actor before he landed the role of Willie. He was the, quote, straight man against Alf. 
which Fusco says was a difficult thing to do. Despite the challenge, Fusco noted that there was great comedic chemistry between Wright and the puppet. Quote, he had to be that comedic, he had to be that comic foil. Dying is easy. Comedy is hard. To get that chemistry between Alf and Willie, it's hard, Fusco said in a 2007 interview. In 2000, Max Wright told People magazine that starring alongside a puppet was hard work and very grim. The actor acknowledged at the time that he was hugely eager to have it over with. And on the last night of filming the entire series, Shadeen recalled, quote, there was one take and Max walked off the set, went to his dressing room, got his bags, went to his car and disappeared. (laughs) No one had to say rap and there were no goodbyes. It's so sad. It's like. Everybody wants to be Costello, but it yeah. doesn't work without Abbott. With exactly. That's a beautiful way to put it. And I, that's the funny thing is, right? I've always, when you and I have written sketch or done sketch live or something, I think I'm usually the straight man and I, I enjoy it. Like, I enjoy playing either side. But like you said, you need both to bounce off of each other. You cannot have two comedic foils. You I cannot have two straight men. Ways. Exactly. If you have two straight men, it's just a drama. So like, it just doesn't work that way. I, <laughs> Sorry, I was taking a sip of my coffee. The absolute worst part of this whole article for me is the revelation that filming a 30-minute episode of ALF because of the technical issues with the puppet and getting everything right could take 20 to 25 hours. Exactly, and that's what I'm saying, right? That really eats into your scheduling time. It's it's ridiculous. And for a sitcom, which has to be scheduled around the studio audience... Because they only have, I believe, most of the time, two days to film in front of an audience. Um, it's Usually. it's ridiculous. Like you can't you can't mess that up. From from uh, first rehearsal to final recording, they're looking at one week. It's usually going to be a table read on Monday and then a recording session on Friday and Saturday. As as far as I'm aware, I'm not currently in the sitcom industry but that's that's what i remember from a lot of behind the scenes features on friends and seinfeld <laughs> yeah um well those are pretty well-oiled machines that's we have true no idea yeah. what was going on with the puppet here yeah no hugs no no uh oh shit what was it for seinfeld no hugs no apologies no hugs no i don't, oh, I don't, I don't remember. remember i don't remember they had a they had a sign above the writer's room that was uh yeah. no hugs no tears or something like that just for the characters. Uh, there was tension on set because the actors didn't want to play second fiddle to a puppet, like we said. According to Elson, uh, there was tension on the set because the cast was stressed about having to play second fiddle. By season two, Elson had developed bulimia and had become obsessed with exercise. She says she didn't fully recover and find peace until she got pregnant in 1997, which was well after the show ended. Shadeen recalled experiencing no joy on the set because the scenes with the puppet were a technical nightmare. As Rob just said, filming a 30-minute episode could take as long as 25 hours, which led to the cast and crew being deeply unhappy. Alf was a big dysfunctional family, according to the star and Shadeen. Uh, It was a technical nightmare, extremely slow, hot, and tedious. If you had a scene with Alf, it took 30 minutes to... I'm sorry, a 30-minute show took 20 to 25 hours to shoot. The co-stars also had difficult personalities. She described the overall vibe as a big dysfunctional family. It's astonishing to me that Alf really was wonderful, and that word never got out what a mess our set really was, which is honestly a good thing, right? You have it a show. Is, yeah, it's it's weird to hear like how secretive they were. It's it's about the interesting because you have shows like there 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 are two sides to this coin, especially when it comes to Seinfeld and Friends. And if you know me at all, those are really the two sitcoms that I know most about over anything in the world. Friends was very much the cast absolutely loved each other 
and they all played the same ensemble piece, right? After season one, they all agreed that no one was going to take a pay raise over anybody else because it was an ensemble show. They also agreed that no one would be um, nominated for an Emmy as a starring role as opposed to a supporting role because they felt the six of them were all supporting each other. Um, They had a great time filming that. Of course, you have, you know any type of set is going to have any type of like, you know, anxiety or, or drama or anything around it, you know, regarding Matthew Perry and his, um, uh, his, his public speaking on his addiction issues, which he actually has a memoir coming out next month in November that I badly want to read about his time on set and his issues with, uh, alcohol and pill dependency and things like that. Yeah. On the other side of the coin, you have Seinfeld where everyone loved each other. The main cast loved each other. But Michael Richards has been, and you know, say what you want about Michael Richards as a person. You can, you know, beat that dead horse however many times you want. Um, but the one thing he said was that he actually always felt really bad that he always took Seinfeld very seriously. He didn't enjoy himself. And it's actually evident if you watch any of the behind the scenes bloopers or anything like that of the show it's evident that he's very strict about hitting his marks his physical comedy and the rest of the cast you know was goofing around Uh, julie louis dreyfus is excellent at breaking character she's one of my favorites to watch bloopers of because when she starts laughing she cannot stop Um, i can't remember an instance of michael richards breaking character from watching the bloopers actually yeah absolutely yeah and it's things like that where like you know again people need to realize that these are jobs right working on a tv show working on a movie it seems glamorous and a lot of the times it is i'm sure but at the same time it is a job you know filming anything it's it's tedious it's hard work and it it takes a lot of people to make something work and if you're that character that is like the really wild zany comic one that's physically taxing yeah absolutely Especially if you're like throwing yourself around like a kramer or a chevy chase type of thing yeah absolutely chase he's been in pain for 40 years yeah i mean and some people don't get the the praise that they deserve i will wholeheartedly say that david schwimmer was the best physical comedian out of the six of the cast of friends and he doesn't get the recognition he deserves for the work he put in on that show um, because everybody just wants to talk about how shit Ross is. It's a situational comedy. These are not meant to be human, real, realistic people. They are meant to be characters. They are meant to be, you know, have issues and things like that. It's like trying to look at It's Always Sunny and being like, well, these characters just aren't good people. Yeah, that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah, that's deeply, deeply the point. <laughs> Rob, Glenn, and Charlie will talk about that ad nauseum on the podcast about how often they get people being like, well, you know, you can't have the characters saying this. And then they're just like, it's satire. The point is that we know the characters shouldn't be saying this. It's kind of the point of what we're going for here. Um, I'm going off on a lot of tangents, but I can talk about sitcoms till forever. (laughs) Um, Fusco has fond memories of censorship battles in the writing uh, writer's room. He says he often fought with NBC over his racy jokes about Alf eating cats. When the series was canceled, Fusco says one exec told him that he thought the show deserved two more seasons, especially since it ended on a cliffhanger where Alf got caught by the alien task force. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there is a high chance within the next five years, we will see a reboot of Alf. Considering the amount of sitcoms that have gotten a reboot in the last five years or so, I I don't see this not being a possibility. Oh, yeah. I would probably do something more adult with it, too. I mean, yeah. the origins of the character being essentially a, a, a nightclub act. Yeah. You know, eating cats. Yeah. That, that we, we all know what he's referring to. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's very true. Um, but leaving then, off on the on the notion that like, oh well, that's the end of the show. I guess Alpha is going to get vivisected. <laughs> and you know what I'd say if they do a reboot or if they do a continuation, a new series, um, keep the puppet exactly the same. Don't give me a new design of the puppet. Make it's a great design. It really is. It's really cool and. It's something I've always I've always been a fan of. A long time ago, my buddy, who you know, Joel, uh, him and I were actually working on an idea for a podcast well before we ever started. What do you got? Uh, and the podcast idea was blind rerun. Basically, what we were going to do is we were going to shuffle through an online category of different TV shows, and we were going to have it uh, randomize an episode from a random season of a random show, and we were going to watch it without any context to the series. And our first episode was actually <laughs> supposed to be on ALF, but we could never get the algorithm to work right for the randomization. Um, oh. hmm. It's still something I want to do today. Uh, at some point, maybe we can maybe we can have Joel on and we can we can throw That'd it into an episode amazing. here. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a great concept that we had. We just never were able to capitalize <laughs> on the concept. So you two were undone by technical issues. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't want to play second fiddle to an algorithm. So we just canceled the whole production. Um, as Funny as not. we're now at the end of the uh, article, the network at that point did create a new production house at the beginning of the 1990s, and the show lost its time slot to a little TV show called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, who once again is another show that now has a reboot, albeit this one being a straight drama. Um, I have not watched the new Fresh Prince. I've heard it's pretty good. Uh, it, it's an interesting concept to take a sitcom and turn it into a drama series. And I remember seeing the short film they originally did, and it was actually very good. Uh, so I'm interested in watching it. Have you watched any of it? No, I, I don't know. What is it on? I honestly don't know. There's I, too many things. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those streaming services that not many people know about, like Tubi or Crackle or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, one of those services that are like, but that that's a thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that is the, the story behind the Alf puppet and the tensions on set between him and his human co-stars um so now we should probably get into some fun business we really should uh so that was technically difficult let's do something a lot easier <laughs> nick what do you got all right um all right um my <laughs> my film is titled from above and afar it takes place in the 1950s when space sci-fi films were all the rage and there's an alien design puppet, very similar to ALF, uh, that took film by storm in a running franchise called From Above and Afar, which spawned more than eight sequels. They had the puppet doing talk show circuits and promoting the franchise. Uh, there was only one problem. It wasn't a puppet. It was an actual alien that the government had captured and forced to become a film series actor. And to undermine the communists. Exactly. Uh, so the alien uh, is named Fengari, which is uh, Greek for moon, uh, from Ooh. the planet Ultron 9. I went very 50s for this, making sure it's, you know, plan nine from outer space, that type of stuff. I took the nine for that reason. Uh, but we follow the alien through the run of the franchise as we watch the film industry try and keep him secret from the public, but at the same time, just destroying this poor alien's life force. Oh, no. Um we show how the humans will use anything as entertainment, even if it's immoral. It's it's basically slavery. So it's kind of a satire Ooh. for slavery in the 1950s. Um, my film is directed by James Gunn. Uh, my cast stars Colin Farrell as the voice of Fengari. And my human cast of the film series uh, is 
played by Samara Weaving, Zachary Levi, and Adam Devine. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it's, it, I kind of like the idea of possibly doing the movie in black and white too, you know, something akin to like Ed Wood or Mank or something like that, where it's the black and white of its time period. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just about kind of this alien and how they, they basically crash land on earth and they're looking to like, you know, find signs of life and like learn about our species and everything like that. But they're immediately captured and told they're now a film star. And they, have, <laughs> and they they have to deal with that all while not being able to tell people that they're a living creature. Um, but that's my film. Uh, that is the the premise for From Above and Afar. So while that was quick, I know we're going to be able to get into more detail with Rob's pitch and mine together. So Rob, what do you got? Oh boy, this is this is faster than I anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> so what I wanted to do with this, um, it's kind of, but not entirely a biopic about Jim Henson. Okay. Um, I want to hit those notes. It doesn't necessarily have to be like actually about Jim, but just sort of inspired by his life and his career, uh, which is why I picked Brian Henson as a director. Nice. Um, the movie's called On My Way, which is one okay. of the lyrics from Sesame Street. Um, <laughs> oh, that's stars Jay Baruchel as our stand-in for Jim Henson. Look who made it back into the cast. Welcome back, Jay. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I also have in the cast Maya Rudolph and Steve Whitmire, uh, who uh, up until recently was the voice of uh, Kermit the Frog, having mm-hmm. inherited that role from, uh, from Jim. Uh, kind of forced out by Disney. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of interesting stuff going on there. We don't have to get into it. Um, so I wanted to start with Jay is a young performer and sometime puppeteer in Hollywood. Um, and he's doing a, a coffee commercial for, a, you know, like an instant coffee thing. Mm-hmm. And he's on set and he's interacting with this puppet. And they're rolling the cameras like, oh, this is great. This is great. And they get it in the can. Uh, and Jay is like, well, that's, that's great. I, I do puppeteering too. Who was the guy behind the puppet? And they're like, don't be weird. And just want to, and it, it turns out that that was, that was not, that was real. That's a, that's a real dude. The little <laughs> puppet. Um, and Jay kind of keeps intersecting with puppets, like real puppets that other people are not like super aware of that are real. Um, he finds so wait, the whole street where they live. I'm sorry. So are you, are you saying he sees puppets where other people see humans? No, he he sees like puppets where other people see puppets, but like there's nobody operating them. Oh, the puppets are just alive. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and they sometimes sometimes kind of intersect with with the normal world in in those terms of like wanting to be an entertainment hmm. and wanting to put on a show. And they're now able to more do so through Jay, who has connections and is a puppeteer, so can explain things away and keeps uh, visiting where they live on this one kind of like side street in New York uh, (laughs) and taking inspiration from it and and making a children's show based on that, like a smaller set that looks like it. I wanted to do kind of hit the same beats of Jim Henson's life uh, with the notion that like as real as Kermit was to him, it is in fact real to all of us now. Hmm. So uh, 
is it supposed to or is it actually like called Sesame Street where they live or do you have like it's not it's not just Sesame Street, right? It's like, you know, something else that's just based off of Henson's work. No, I was I was trying to think of like something clever because like we got Sesame Street, we got Avenue Q. I was trying to think of something punchy with like Boulevard, but I got nothing. Mm, I'm sure we can come up with something. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. kind of like the idea that he sees puppets where everyone else sees humans. <laughs> <laughs> that could be really messed up to go through. <laughs> oh, God. Now he's just he's deeply ill. Yeah, but that's also <laughs> really interesting. Um, so you had uh, you had Brian Henson directing, you said? Yep. Director Brian Henson. All right. Let's uh, let's see what we can do here. We got two we got two very similar premises, so this shouldn't be hard. Yeah. Um I think very simply put, we make it that the puppets can all of the puppets, however many there are, six, seven, eight, ten, whatever, are actually aliens from another planet. (laughs) That way that gives reason as to why they're alive. They're actually aliens, but everyone else is just like, no, they're puppets controlled by puppeteers. That's a, man, that's a good way to approach it. And I think a really great way to kind of place it into the world is that the government discovered them and forced them all into their own like shanty town mm-hmm. of Sesame Street. <laughs> so it's they're like, it's like in the middle of a block. Yeah. It's just like a street of the rest, but it's kind of blocked in by buildings on all four sides with no yeah. windows looking if down. You, exactly. If you look at it, it looks like a set, right? You know how sometimes you walk down the street in a city and the street corner turns so it's not a straight shot to the horizon and it just feels like a set because of the way the buildings turn? Yeah. That's that's what it is. It's literally they put and somehow it gets more and more cartoony. It's only like one block, but that one block is way more cartoony than anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So you have this in the middle of Manhattan or, or we do, you know, no, we do a different city. Let's do Boston. Okay. These alien puppets take on harsh Boston accents because of how long they've been here. So you have, (laughs) you've got this, this one block space in Boston over by the Haba. And it's literally, it looks like Sesame street, but it's just an actual alien space where these creatures live that everyone's like, Oh, that's where they store the puppet. That's the warehouse. That's the warehouse block. It actually works easier in Boston because Boston's not a grid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) A grid would be harder, but in Boston, we can kind of just put them over in the corner, you know, over by, uh, over by some baked beans or something like that. The road, the roads are all fucking like looped. (laughs) Yeah. Boston is a, is an interesting city to try to get around in. I love that city though. It's gorgeous. Um, so let's see, let's, let's use Boulevard. Let's, um, come up with a title you got sesame street you got avenue q what about i want to say like brighton boulevard because that's also like a little bit of a neil simon simon bless neil simon nod oh like brighton beach yeah um but something similar like yeah sesame Hmm. or do we just go a synonym for sesame or like another spice or something (laughs) another spice what is time boulevard (laughs) all i can can think of is cumin (laughs) cumin boulevard (laughs) time cumin uh capers capers boulevard capers are not a spice (laughs) no they're not (laughs) types of spices um, Are you just googling spices? Yeah, yeah, I Google everything while we're recording this podcast. How about? Ooh, what about cardamom? 
Cin- no, Cinnamon. Um, Cinnamon Boulevard. I don't think this That's... is technically a, a, a spice, but uh, Juniper Lane. Ooh, Juniper Lane is nice. What is Juniper? It's a plant, right? It's an herb, it's I guess. It's a berry. Oh, it's a berry. Yeah. Um, it's what they use to flavor gin. Yeah, no, I like... I like <laughs> That actually makes it even funnier. Um, Juniper Lane is where they force all of these shantytown motherfucking alien puppets to live and uh you got jay baruchel who i'm trying to think of how we can do this jay baruchel you said he works in the film industry his character yep 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 struggling actor puppeteer okay he works he's a struggling puppeteer how does he fall into it with them well, uh, let's see. My my original thing was that he's on the set of a coffee commercial and just winds up like doing doing the whole commercial with this puppet that he thinks was provided, uh, but it wasn't. What if we do something along the lines of like Ted, where these puppets, we're just going to call them puppets. They're aliens, but they're puppets. Yeah. Um, where these puppets have been around for a couple decades, and it's kind of like everyone's a bit over it. Because maybe they did. Oh, there it is. Maybe they did have a show back in like the 70s or 80s. And like, you know, it was huge back in the time, like the Muppets or something. And then it just kind of fell off. Yeah. And now he's the one that's kind of or though. Is that too similar to the Muppets movie with Jason Siegel, where he mm, kind of tries to like yeah. bring the Muppets back? Yeah, that's the, that's kind of hitting the same beat. Yeah. But we can do something where like maybe he was a big fan of them when he was a kid. So maybe the nineties. Um there was like a show, like a one off show that they had did when they first got here. Like a one hour special. Yeah, like that never amounted. Probably not even on television. Like he saw it live. Yeah, like yeah, in yeah. The theater. And this was like right before the government became aware of them. Ooh, that's good. And that's what like led him to want to be a puppeteer. Was yeah. like seeing it them felt on so stage. real to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seeing them on stage. And then finding out, like, whatever happened to those puppets? What are you talking about? They're, they're over on Juniper Lane. They just live there. Well, what do you, you like? They store them there or something? Do we have other people know that they're, like, sentient beings or? I think not necessarily. Yeah, I think it's just him, right? Yep. And, and obviously the government trying to kind of, like, hide that information. Yep. So it then turns into sort of a hard-boiled detective novel yeah, where he's trying to turn break, around. break the case wide open. <laughs> um who was maya rudolph to you in this uh i was gonna have her uh be kind of like more of a high-powered hollywood figure that oh, okay used to get to like a show going so we use her as basically the judge in good place she's just she's kind of like the the big one <laughs> yeah, um, why not? so yeah maybe he wants to like put it maybe yeah maybe it's not a show or a movie he wants to put on a theater show yep of you know whatever it's it was called you know juniper lane live one hour special whatever it was right yeah yeah um and his goal is to now reboot it with everything being rebooted these days he wants to try and reboot it but he's trying to reboot a live show so he's also trying to rein in all of these puppets to kind of do their best work after he finds out they're sentient beings. And a lot of them are like, I don't want to fucking do this shit anymore. Like they, they, <laughs> it was 30 years ago. What do you, what do you fucking want from me? <laughs> <laughs> There's the one that's just constantly smoking on the stoop. And he's just like, I, I don't fuck. Yeah, stoop puppet. He's our Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, I don't fucking do this anymore. There's no point. Like, I mean, yeah, people are just going to throw shit at us on stage. And I don't, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. 
And Jay Baruchel is just like, no, you got to. You're yeah. like one of the big ones. <laughs> people like you (laughs) people are big fans i'm just saying (laughs) um so then we have him kind of like push them into wanting to do the show again they get the show up and running and maybe opening night maybe it's supposed to be like a small engagement like a two-week two-week engagement or something like that yep is it popular or is it not hmm I think it's exactly as it was when Jay Baruchel was a kid, which is just like, oh, that was a good show with like a decent <laughs> it's attendance. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was okay. Nothing else is going to come from this, but it was, it was nice. It was fine. And, and Jay's <laughs> just like, well, as long as we inspired just one little kid to pursue his dreams like you inspired me. And like, kid, you're sitting on a fucking stoop with me and Juniper Lane. <laughs> yeah. We inspired you to shit. It's the same one that's like, we inspired you to what? Be a fucking puppeteer? You're not a fucking puppeteer. We don't need puppeteers. We're we're, we're sentient. You got like, six you're, roommates, you're not, kid. You're not doing shit. You're a producer. You want to be a producer? You go produce. Go produce. <laughs> Man, we fucked you up. You could have been the, like the mayor of Boston, guy. <laughs> you could have had a great life. But no, you just, you're fucking, you're still in Boston. You're still doing the same old thing, trying to pretend like you're better than everyone else. I, I don't fucking get it. Hold on, I gotta, I gotta say something real quick. Juniper Lane runs on Duncan. <laughs> Who are you talking to? Yeah, I just gotta make sure somebody hears. <laughs> don't worry, I'll get the check in the mail next week. <laughs> and then, so then that means that we should make it that the the show, the live show, is kind of the act two catalyst, and then we need to figure out an act three on top of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm trying to think of other sources of conflict. I mean, yeah, so you have the right the show. You think the show, the whole movie is going to be leading up to them doing the show, putting on the show, but it happens halfway through the film and it's it's a success. They make some money, but it's not like, "Oh my god, the Juniper Lane puppets are back." <laughs> um do we cut do we fast forward in time? It's like a couple years later or something, maybe. Yeah, we could have Jay like being becoming more successful. Yeah, maybe by monetizing the concept, but without using them. Okay, maybe French. Um, not not French. Merchandising. Yeah, yeah. Like he 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 might he might crib the whole idea and make a more controlled version of this to sell. Yeah. Yeah. With, like, actual puppeteers, because that's a lot easier to control. Oh, that's good. They actually make puppets based on them. <laughs> and then maybe that... Does that, like, rub the actual puppets the wrong way? Or... They're like, you're using my so. likeness, and I'm not I'm not getting a fucking cut of the profits here. Yeah, I think now this is a problem. <laughs> yeah, now, now it's a legal battle between the puppets and Jay Baruchel. Yep. Because he kind of went off the deep end. So to establish, are these puppets or are these aliens? And do either of those have rights? <laughs> do puppets have rights or do aliens have rights? Because because right now, I, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I need someone to go down to the municipal library and find me a copy of the Geneva Convention because I'm pretty <laughs> sure I know there's something in there about the moon. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a lot of precedent to work with here. <laughs> but that's what we're going off, and that's what we're going to use. <laughs> <laughs> so he like he hires a lawyer to like help him try and figure out if he has a case here or not. 
And then it's it, it has to end with him like realizing that he's doing the same exact thing they did to the puppets back in the 90s. They just want to be left alone. They didn't want to be, you know, they didn't want to be stars again. They just wanted to live their lives. They're not allowed to like travel the world or anything because they're stuck in this one little section of Boston and he's trying to market them and they're seeing billboards of themselves again, but it's not them because it's actual puppets that they're making. Hmm. And it kind of becomes a human rights issue, right? Like it kind of has a sort of really strong undertone of human rights issues and things like that. And um, that, that'd be a good way to satirize what we're doing here by (laughs) giving it that undertone. I like it. It was like uh, one of the recent episodes of Rick and Morty in season six was really good. Cause have you watched season six at all? That's this season. Yeah. I haven't started yet. No. Okay. So um, the second episode, not no spoilers, but second episode, you remember the game Roy, a life well lived. Oh yeah. From blitz and shits. Blitz and shits. Yeah. Um, Morty gets stuck inside the game and his soul is broken up into every NPC. So Rick has to go into the game as Roy and get them all to believe that they are all part of Morty. And they're, and they keep trying to think it's like a religion and he's a religious leader. And Rick's just like, it's not a, not a religion. Nope, nope. It's, you're you're a 14 year old boy. <laughs> it's really good, but it's it's got some like really good undertones of like rights and um, you know privileges and things like that, uh, as as Rick and Morty tends to. Um, <laughs> but that that kind of reminds me of that idea. So we have these puppets that are just kind of you know like we we, we just want to be left alone. All right, we don't, we don't. Yeah. We'll take a paycheck, but we just want to be left. Sometimes alone. we get the bug, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and if we do, we'll we'll put on a show for ourselves. And it's like a tiny little theater, a little black box, a little black box <laughs> where the uh, puppets can go and like <laughs> yeah. entertain each other. Do we do we end it with them being able to finally leave and like go back to their home planet or something? Hmm. Or is that too optimistic? Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm trying to figure out like the motivation as to why or why they were here in the first place. That they yeah, were I, I don't know if should we should we di- dissect that or should we just kind of leave it be? Mm-hmm. I think it's better if since it's such a far off concept, I think it's better if we don't even express like in the beginning they landed in Boston and blah, 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 yeah. blah. <laughs> it's just sort of it is what it is, right? Yeah, they just happen to be here. Yeah. We don't know how long they've been here, but we do know that they were big in the 90s for a minute. They had their 15 minutes of fame, and now they kind of just want to be left alone. They have people traveling through their little block all the time, trying to, like, meet them and stuff. And, you know, they're 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 cordial. They're not, like, they're not going to be like, get the fuck out of here. But <laughs> it's really, like, they're cordial because they have to be. Yeah. Because they know they have no rights, and that, like, if people come across them and they're mean to them they could make their lives even more of a living hell. Oh, Jesus. So, yeah, it gets really dark, right? (laughs) I like it. Um, (laughs) So I want to bring in Zachary Levi because I love Zachary Levi and I'm his buddy. Um, So how can we, what could he be? What could he do? Um, We We, have our, our pseudo Jim Henson. We have our cynical producer. What are some other archetypes we could have? I mean, is he the lawyer? Yeah, a really yeah. like hardcore Boston lawyer. <laughs> He's like John Hamm in the town. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's intense. He's like he's. He's all about getting the right outcome to what he wants. I dig. 
and so (laughs) so we get zachary levi to kind of play a villain right like he's kind of just a blood-sucking lawyer yep trying to make profit and make a buck he's he's coercing jay baruchel into doing this lawsuit and it's kind of then when jay's kind of like this isn't this isn't what i wanted you know like my whole goal was just to like inspire happiness and performing and creativity and now we're in a legal battle locked in marketing laws and copyrights and things like that. <laughs> and Zachary Levi is just constantly like, listen, you got, you got to, you got to keep pushing through because you know, you got to grab the bull by the horns and you've got to sue the shit out of those puppets. <laughs> oh my God. What does this even mean? <laughs> listen today, today's today, but tomorrow might not be tomorrow. if you don't get this going. So what are you he uses all about? these, he uses all these incorrect adages. Yeah. <laughs> like they, they make no sense. Yeah. <laughs> the sun sets over there, but you can't see it if you're wearing sunglasses. So you got to listen to me and do what I say. <laughs> I, I don't have enough information on what you just said to dispute it. All right. Thank you. I'm going to be billing you for this hour. Ah. <laughs> you may leave. It's one oh. hour minimum. Every time he talks to him, it's one no hour matter. Minimum. They talk for two minutes. And he's like, all right, I got to bully you for the full hour. <laughs> it's, not, it's not too visible. <laughs> well, I can't. It's, it's $100 an hour. I can't, I can't what, divide that? 100. <laughs> That doesn't make sense. You can't divide 100 off of 60. That's not how math works, all right? So oh, we're charging geez. you the 100. <laughs> doesn't know anything about billing. Dirty, dirty puppets. <laughs> and then, like, very simply, Jay Baruchel finds a way to back out of it, but also, like, maybe uh, pin it to Zachary Levi to take the fall or something. Yeah, of course. Um, so, we, you know, we get Zach to have a nice little moment. He's kind of, in a way, he's sort of uh, Chris Cooper in the, the Muppets movie. Chris oh, Cooper, is that his name? Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. He has that weird rap. <laughs> <laughs> he had to be taught how to rap. <laughs> that movie was fun. I like the first movie. One. Yeah. I didn't care for Most Wanted. It felt it fell through for me, but you know, very you different. Spe- you spend the whole time bringing in the new puppet of um Walter. The whole movie is about him like wanting to fit in with the Muppets and stuff, and then he's sidelined in the second film. Yep. It's like, I get what you're doing. You want to just make a Muppets movie again, but you've introduced this character as, an, as a main character, and now we, we need to see how it turned out for him. He had like two lines in the sequel. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, I got more time for evil Kermit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Ricky um, Gervais. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I wonder if Ricky Gervais eats Puppet because he's vegan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think we have, I think we, I think we got a film here. Yeah, we got something. Um, I kind of want to name it Juniper Lane, though. Yeah, why not? So we can keep everything else. Jay Baruchel makes the comeback on the podcast. At some point, at some point, we're going to meet him and be like, just so you know, we've cast you in about 10 things. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be like, oh, God, I mean, thank you. This was our longest hiatus. (laughs) This this was our longest hiatus. Um, we will. We should be back on schedule uh, for episode fifty-eight, episode sixty. We will have another special guest, and maybe episode seventy we can bring on Joel. Um, hey, our special guest we will announce. Come, I, mean, I guess we can announce it in the next episode. Why not? Yeah. Um, give give some time to get some traffic over to their site and their yep. their creativity and social media presence and all that jazz. Um, I don't think I have anything else. I mean, again, sorry we've been so 
so unresponsive online for the last month or so, but you know, October got away from us. I'm doing 31 days of Halloween and I've missed like four movies already. So, um, <laughs> gotta catch up boy. Yeah, I know. I got to watch some stuff this weekend. Um, we are excited to continue to keep going and to keep growing. Uh, what do you got, uh, is available on all podcast, uh, apps and platforms that you listen to. Uh, if you want to follow us on Facebook or Twitter, it's WDYG podcast on Twitter. And what do you got on Facebook? Um, Facebook, we really only just post the article. So there's there's not much going on there. It's just kind of like every two weeks we post the article and that's about it. And then uh, Rob and I will share those. Uh, Twitter is the best place to talk to us if you want to comment or message or give us an idea for an upcoming episode. Yes. Uh, remember, we are always on the lookout for new articles and new stories. Um, so whatever you find, uh, if you think it's worth an episode and you have your own pitch, send it our way. Send us to wdygpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter anywhere. Uh, and let's let's discuss some things about what you have going. And then it will be our property. Uh, I just had uh, Megara Hope hand me a note saying solder children, which I know we've discussed on the podcast before that we do have to push that episode out at some point. Solder children? S-O-D-D-E-R. We've talked about them. The kids that went missing in the 1940s. Right, right. Children that went missing out of a family of 13. Um, I thought you were telling me to take a soldering iron to children. I was, but in so many words. (laughs) uh so thank you guys gals and anyone in between for listening uh we hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time another time (laughs) i've been rob i've been nick and that's what we got what do you got is recorded live at the cape swoosh studios in bloomfield new jersey our theme song was written and performed by trevor campbell additional music is provided by kevin mcleod of incompetech.com and our wonderful logo was designed by Gabby Vice. You can find her on Twitter at, at Gabby Vice. 